Earners, what's going on? Listen, EYLU is relaunching, revamping, retooling. That's right, we're creating a new educational experience that's more expansive. Shari, tell me what we got. Yes, 2023. We got a lot in store, a lot planned for you guys. So you know that EYLU already includes monthly financial planning calls with me, book club calls with Troy, real estate calls with MG the Mortgage Guy, access to the home buying blueprint, volume one and volume two. Part of the revamp will include 27 local chapters from across the United States, live interactive teaching, hands-on, not just pre-recorded videos, plus 15 brand new curriculums. The biggest just got bigger. Head over to EYLUniversity.com. That's E-Y-L-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com. See you there. Earners, what's up? Look, as an entrepreneur, the dream is to earn a living doing what you love. But let's face it, turning that dream into reality is no small feat. That's where Kajabi steps in, transforming challenges into opportunities. I've been there, juggling every aspect of my business, wishing for a simpler way to diversify revenue and grow my brand. Then Kajabi changed the game. It's an all-in-one platform that empowered me to not just build, but thrive. With Kajabi, creating online courses, membership sites, and more became not just possible, but easy. And the best part? I kept 100% of what I earned, thanks to Kajabi's no-commission policy. But Kajabi isn't just about tools. It's about building a profitable business with the support of robust analytics, easy payment options, and customizable templates, all without needing a huge team or audience. Join me and thousands of entrepreneurs making six or seven figures on Kajabi, regardless of your audience size. If you're ready to turn your passion into profit, Kajabi is your next step to success. So what are you waiting for? Build, grow, and keep what you earn with Kajabi. Start your journey today. And right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash earn. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash earn. Kajabi.com slash earn. And join the entrepreneurs and creators who've made over $6 billion. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Head over there now. Earners, what's up? Look, in the world of personal finance management, finding the right tool is crucial. If you've been relying on Mint to keep your personal finances in check, I got a mix of news for you. Mint is closing down. But here's a silver lining. Monarch Money is stepping up as the go-to financial app, and users, including myself, are making the switch with a smile. Before Monarch, juggling my finances felt like navigating a stormy sea. Other apps either lacked features or were too cumbersome. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design turned financial management from a chore into a breeze. The constant updates, well, that's the cherry on top. But what truly set it apart for me was its collaboration feature. Money matters constrain relationships, but Monarch brings peace to the table. The app's collaboration tools allowed my partner and I to seamlessly manage our finances together. We aligned on our budgets, tracked our cash flow, and even planned our future goals all in one place. Speaking of goals, be it saving for a down payment, your dream vacation, or your children's education, Monarch simplifies it all. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal hailed it as the best budgeting app. This isn't just an app. It's the next generation of personal finance management, ad-free, intuitive, and always evolving with you in mind. Now look, Monarch isn't just another app. It's the all-in-one solution. From effortlessly importing your data from Mint to customizing your dashboard to your heart's content, 
Monarch respects your privacy with a strict no ads, no data selling policy. This is financial management as it should be, focused on you. Look, after trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top rated financial personal app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash leisure. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash leisure for your extended 30-day free trial. I'll tell you something that Jimmy Iovine told me during that summer. He said to me, without knowing what I was going through, he wrote, you go with the horse that got you here, brother. Like basically saying, Whatever emotions you feel and get over it. All right, guys, welcome back. EYL, we are back home in New York City. Yes. Very rare occasion these days. <laughs> these days for sure. So um, dope episode that we've actually been in communication. I've been in communication with you for a while. Rich Kleiman, um, if you follow the boardroom, he is co-CEO and founder yeah. of that, right? Yeah. Um, Kevin Durant's partner, also involved with 35 Ventures, which is KD's family office. And then you are part owner of Brooklyn Aces. Yeah, we own the Brooklyn Aces. Uh, Gotham Football Club. Gotham Football Club. Keep going. Philly Union. <laughs> Philly Union, yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Well, what else is there? That's that's we, really. We I got mean, lacrosse. Yeah, we got pickleball. Yeah, I mean the the adventures are pretty vast. Uh, yeah, we definitely like we've we've. Uh, well, first of all, thank you guys. Appreciate thank, it. Appreciate. And we it. have been talking about this for a while. I'm a legitimate fan, so that's I think how our relationship started. Was just like I really see what you guys are doing and have an insane amount of respect for it because now I'm living how hard the process is. <laughs> um, to build a brand and an audience from scratch out of thin air. It's, it's as difficult as anything I've done in my career or tried to do in my career. So I have an insane amount of respect for you guys. But yeah, like sports, just bullish. And I think when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden you could see that there was this value on sports beyond the major four sports and that there was real fan bases and players that you know were at the highest level no different than KD is at basketball. So we've invested in that. So, all right. So where does it start? Where does your career start and where does your passion for sports start? And how do you start working with KD and, and getting to all these different ventures? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I grew up in New York. So you guys understand, like in the 90s, late 80s, I was able to sit and get this like firsthand view of hip hop exploding in the city. And, um, and was also just a fan of basketball and sports in general. I really just studied it. Like I truly studied it. I played. I, I mean, I, I was a, everyone that grew up with me would say I was an athlete, but I never like at any point really believed I had the ability to like be a professional athlete or even a D1 athlete. Like I wanted to play D1 basketball. Um, and as soon as I realized I couldn't, I was like, man, fuck basketball. <laughs> you know, I was like, I didn't even allow myself to enjoy, like maybe continuing on to play, but did, did you play against someone and you're like, no, that's a different level. Yeah. Wow. A lot of people. I mean, I think it was like, I, I, I still feel like there's like a big difference between like where my skill level was. I thought I was a good shooter. I could handle the ball. I knew the game, but athletically. I just couldn't compete with like where I wanted to play. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I couldn't stick anyone. 
there was a time I went to play at Riverside Church and it was like, I just scrimmaged with a bunch of guys and I didn't even want to continue the process. <laughs> <laughs> and I shot the lights out. We were just talking about Riverside and Gauchos. He was watching um, it, it Is What It Is, Cam and Mace. He was talking about he used to play for Riverside and Gauchos and that brought back memories because I used to play for Riverside and Gauchos. So that little church. Yeah. That little, well, the church was big, but the little gym inside the church, that was a legendary situation. Legendary. Um, and, and, and when I went there, it's funny, I didn't leave though and be like, fuck basketball though. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. I, I loved everybody I was watching around. I liked that energy that was at the church that day. Like I liked seeing people sitting on the floor, hanging over the, the, the balcony. And I just liked the energy about the game. So it was never that. So I knew I would somehow follow sports, but without a college education and without a mentor or without you know any real guidance, I just tried to stay around the world of sports and the world of music as much as I could and meet as many people as I could from the time I was like, can remember. And it just so happened that music was where I found openings for myself earlier on in my career. Yeah, very similar. I, I realized early, I said, how can I stay around sports? So my thing was like, I'll be a trainer or I'll be a therapist, physical therapist, and that'll be it. I ended up teaching sports and being a phys ed. So I had to transition into something else. But the music part is interesting because your your career pretty much starts in that realm before it gets to sports. Obviously, sports is something that you love, but music. Talk about that. How do you who the person was or who were the people at first jobs that you had inside the music industry that kind of got you into believing, all right, this is something I could really make a career of. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys can relate to this at all, but I without a mentor, without guidance or direction, I think like your choices are to like keep going forward or not. And if you stay still or you like are scared in any way or reticent of attacking a challenge without any real information, you know, it's not gonna work. So for me, I was just like, what opportunities in front of me? And for me, I the first like light I saw was actually around sports, but the role for me on that project was not to be a sports producer or to do anything sports related. It was to help the music department on this show, The Life. And it was um, a show on ESPN and this company, Radical Media, not too far from here. And a good friend of mine um, who had this like vision to do what, what we basically see on social media now, which was just like following athletes. But they needed a music soundtrack to the whole show. And I just saw a dollar amount they allocated towards music. I saw the fact that I had a job and that I was in some way connected to sports and I took it on. And then I went and built this database of unsigned artists and producers in the city. And these guys started to be real artists and producers that I just built a network with. And I don't know if you remember that song, The Life with Styles P and uh, Farrell Monch, yeah, but that was that. the theme song to the show that I put together mm -hmm. through Raucous Records. And, um, and so I felt like I was in sports, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I was close to it. And then growing up in New York, it's clear as day from like the time I was a, could even remember that basketball and hip hop were so closely connected that I was like, well, I'm in sports one way or the other, you know, but I'm I'm doing it via music. So, okay. So at what point do you fully go into sports? And what's the first thing that you do actually in the sports field? Because now everything you do is in sports. So at what point do you make that transition from teetering sports and music to actually being full-fledged in sports. 
Yeah, so what happened was after that show, I got to know so many people in the music industry. So I managed artists and producers for a while. And I started a label not again on Mercer and um and Green. It was or 19 Mercer, and it was me and Mark Ronson. And we had a studio down in Soho and we had everyone from Jay Cole before he was signed, Wale before he was signed, Meek, um, Amy Winehouse recorded Back to Black out of there, and you know, Adele was in there in the earlier parts of her career. So like I was hustling as a music manager and then I had the opportunity to meet Jay-Z and ended up producing that uh, Fade to Black, his cool. theatrical documentary of um, his concert at the Garden. You produced that? Yeah. I was there for that. Where you were? I was at the show. Yeah, I was too. Incredible. Incredible. I still put it as the best show I've ever seen. Insane. Ridiculous. Insane. The and the one that um, when R. Kelly ran off and Jay was- No guns in the building? Yeah. Pulling people from the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pepper spray incident? I was yeah, there. I was there too. I was there at that one too. I went to- Two nights. I went to that one, and then I went to the, the next night. And, and that one, it was more controlled. He had, like, T.I. He brought out because he had just put up Bring Him Out. And Mace. And Mace. Yeah. And then uh, Fab had Breathe. It was it was a dope yeah. show. But yeah. the, not, the first night was real. Like, he pulled Usher from the crowd. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, yeah, so I, I had an opportunity. I ended up bringing John Manili, Jay-Z's manager at the time, over to this company, Radical Media, where I had been working on these TV shows. You know, I just kept my network. Anyone I met was in my close circle at that point and figured I could build off of network, you know, and partnership um, and doing dope shit. I just figured if I kept doing good stuff, like more good things would happen. So in bringing Jay-Z's team to meet Radical Media was a perfect producing partner. And I was able to get myself a role of a producer. And as soon as I met Jay, I was almost like, man, I want to be in the music business. Like I, at that point I had been like, all right, let me push sports to the side. Like I want to be in the music business because what I loved about sport and like the swag around sport, I was like, well, this guy's got more than any athlete times 10. So let me stay close to this. And I ended up going to Rock Nation. And at that point I was a music manager. You know, I was managing Wale, Meek, Solange for a while, uh, Mark Ronson, like I mentioned. What year is this? 2007, eight, nine, 10, 11. And you was rock, you was rock, you was working for Rock Nation as a manager. Yeah, for Meek and all these different people. Yeah, till 2012, and then in 2012, my network had grown, and I was more of like a, a presence in the music game, but really like still just had my artists and was trying to build my business because I was building my family at the time, and I wouldn't say that my um, motivation was any less than it's always been, but it was a different pace I was moving at. You know, I wanted to be present and I knew that like that attitude I talked about running full speed ahead, maybe I had to like do it at different speeds, certain times in my life. So I was really just a music manager. And when I started to get the itch to be like, I want like, you know, you either have that feeling or you don't because my job was great. Like I was living the life. I was working for one of my idols and was learning every day. But I had that itch, like, I need more. I need to do more. I need to feel more regarded. I need to, like, be in the game. And that's just something that's motivated me since I was little. So I saw an opportunity because, you know, sports was looking at the blueprint of hip-hop. You know, you think about what LeBron was building at the time in the sports world, what had never been seen before, someone building this while they were building their career. And obviously, while LeBron had his own vision and Rich and Mav and Randy had their own vision, they had so much influence from what they had seen in hip hop. And I knew that that was happening in sports in general. So I felt like, you know, I, I probably could do some work in the sports world because I, I institutionally knew sports. I studied it as a kid. Like, 
I don't have much of an education institutionally on many things. It's all from experience. It's all from like consuming it in real life. Sports though, I felt like I had a master's degree. You know, I'd studied where kids went to college. I studied um, the business of it. So, see, see. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I was like, put me in any room, talk sports. And now I have this knowledge of the music business. I thought it would work. And the thing that's so incredible about Jay, and I, and I think it's one of the gifts that people of his caliber don't necessarily get enough credit for because a lot of times the credit is for what they've done. But it's about identifying talent, like period, identifying talent around you and knowing that each person around you has a different style of having to grow. And I think he could tell that I just was gonna need more and ask for more and he always kind of let me rock. So when I moved into sports, I just felt like this burst of like, a tailwind. I was like, I can, I can do this now. So you were at Rock Nation as a music manager, successful. You got a bunch of clients there. When you're thinking about going into sports, are you pr proposing to him, hey, maybe I can create a sports division? Because I know they went into sports management during that time. Or was it I need to venture out on my own and create something? It was just like, I want to be in. No, no, no. At that point, it was like, yo, I want to manage athletes. And he was like, well, we're, we're about to launch a sports agency straight. Like, straight yeah. up in the next year or so and i believed in them so i i was like let me wait and and true to their word they gave me the opportunity and you know looking back on it i had no knowledge outside of what they knew as my friends that i knew sports and that was what the beautiful thing about it when we first launched it was it was like we were figuring it out obviously we had this incredible leader in jay and this incredibly successful company in rock nation but it was like fun as hell because you know, we were all fans too. So like just being in those rooms in the early days being like, yo, let's hit KD. Let's see if KD, I heard he might be switching agents. Like that was an incredible time. And he gave me the opportunity to really sit in a position in the sports agency that I had no experience in. Um, so you were with Rock Nation from the music side, transferred over on the uh, athlete side, started managing athletes, right? Yeah, I mean, I was acting as like an agent. I got my... MBA agent certificate. I got my MLB agent certificate. So you were agent? Yeah. So you were a, a NFL and baseball agent? I never got my NFL um, certificate. I got my baseball and my MBA. Baseball, MBA. Yeah. But I was working with everyone. Des Bryant at the time, Victor Cruz, CC Sabathia, Skylar Diggins, Geno Smith, um, KD. We had a bunch of young NBA guys, Willie Cauley-Stein, Justice Winslow. Those are like the uh -huh. early days. Yeah, right. Yeah, I remember, I, rem I remember, I remember Geno. I remember, um, uh, Des Bryant, uh, that was like big when they signed with Rock Nation. So you're involved in this whole situation. KD becomes your client. Yeah. So, all right. So you said something before that was insightful. You said that you always wanted to be, I'm paraphrasing, you wanted to be more notable. You wanted to be somebody bigger than like somebody that was just working at Rock Nation. So you got a good thing going and you're representing these athletes. But when, when do you become an entrepreneur? Like when do you break out and start like, leave the nest of Rock Nation and like, what's your first venture on your own? Well, I know what you mean, but I always was an entrepreneur. Like that shit was boiling inside of me from the time I was born. And I think it's because maybe I didn't have much of an education. I didn't have a very like structured, sturdy, um, loving home that I, I was like, I want some validation. I want some fucking like recognition. And for me, it was by having an incredible network around me my whole life. I was like, let me have as many people around me as I can. And then number two was, 
you know, feeling like I could accomplish something. And the thing that I really took to early was like hustling, like, and not hustling like drug dealing, hustling, but hustling like, what can I make a business of? Like I, I had a business when I was seven years old called Lawyer Kid. The idea was to represent kids who didn't know how to talk to their parents. And I was like, come to me. I used to tell my friends at school, come to me, I'll help you out. And then I was like, got a new toy and I, or someone bought me something, you know, everyone, you buy your kids, friends, toys. And you're thinking like, you have no idea if they have four of them, unless there's someone close to you. Well, I was the kid that if I had two of them or I didn't like it, I was like, let's go downstairs and sell it, just <laughs> sell it on the street. And it wasn't because I wanted the money. It was because I looked at the hot dog stand guy. I looked at the guy who ran this store in my corner called Baronet, and I thought that shit was incredible. Like, you built this store, you got all this product in here, and you got to sell it, and you're making money. And I just felt like that was a level of respect that I wanted to have in my life. So as I got older and more involved in work, what I noticed was what didn't fulfill it for me was just simply getting a deal done. And I and I didn't want to be notable in the way um, that... I wanted people to actually know my face. I wanted people to know that I was really, really good at work, really, really good at my job. And what that meant in hip hop and sports was the certain level of notoriety. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so as you, you transition into the management, well, agent side of it, I wonder, cause you said that you didn't have experience. So who are you, are you shadowing somebody? Like who's the mentor in that space that you're going on when you're early days getting the Willie Coley Steins, these first round draft picks, because I remember these days, Junior Smith, you said Skylar Diggins, KD. Who are you going to these meetings with and and what are you learning as you're going? Well, I'm I'm learning as I go, period. So it's like, um, you know, obviously the people around me, I could watch Jay, I could watch Juan, I could watch the people in the office, but I'd done that my whole career. So like every time I brought an artist to a record executive and I pitched them certain beats and uh, songs and albums, I sat in so many A&R meetings when I was coming up playing beat CDs while people on their phone, on their two-way, on their, on their fucking laptop, paying me no mind selling artists i used to have like the artist bibles i put together you go in there and they just say no to you but every meeting i was like i'm watching it like a hawk and i'm watching everyone's instincts and i'm watching the conversation and i'm learning and reading people so the next time i know what i got to do differently and next time i know not to waste anyone's time or waste my own time when i could already tell in their face that they're not feeling it mm -hmm. and that was just instilled in me to keep watching keep learning and as i did that as i got around more successful people, it was just more game to pick up, you know, and it was more of an opportunity to just watch, learn, and then activate. And that's kind of how I do. I mean, I watch you guys and I, and I'm, I watch all my peers and I'm able to pick things up and I'm able to sit there and go like, that shit is really dope. And like, I'll never forget it, period. I'll never forget it. So, okay, let's talk about the boardroom, right? Boardroom, it's a company that you guys started, you and Katie, and it's a media company built around athletes, right? Is that correct? Built around the business of sports and, and you know, uh, I, I think l some parts of entertainment as well. Okay. Talk about starting that, why that was an idea that you wanted to start and getting that up and up and running. Yeah. Well, so when I kept, when I, when I ultimately started my own business with Kevin, it was investing and it was managing his business and managing his Nike business and helping him build out his foundation and everything that he's doing in PG County. And it was a, like building that family office at 35 Ventures. And we had a lot of deal flow and a lot of opportunity. And we were 
you know, working on TV and film projects. And what I realized was that I needed a way to storytell around what we were doing. First, that was my first thing was like, you need, we're in a climate now through social media that had become so present in everyone's life at the time. And, and the need to be able to storytell and position what you were doing in your business as much as just doing it. What, this is 2016? Yeah. Okay. Got you. So I'm thinking in terms of KD, 35 Ventures, this is like he's at with the Warriors or he's about to go to the Warriors. No, so when when we when I left, when when we went, when he went to the Warriors, that's around the time we started our own business. And that gotcha. 16 to 18 was building out that family office of gotcha. 35 Ventures and establishing that side of Kevin's business. And then in 2018, what I realized was that we didn't have that vehicle to really storytell around. And I knew from investing that just starting a media business was gonna get laughed at. Like, what was the point of us to try to replicate a model that people in Silicon Valley were saying was broken? You know, you weren't just gonna invest in somebody because of an audience or eyeballs or metrics. You had to build a business with a purpose and something different. And, you know, again, like, I'm sure you guys, as you've built your business, knew the same thing. Like. I'm not gonna do that model, that was 15 years ago. And what you guys have done is a new model that has been created. And for me, I was trying to figure out what it was that made Kevin and I different. If I could figure that out, then I think that would allow us to start something that at least would embody us. And then that would have to be authentic because it's us. And where that went, I didn't know. And we were trying to figure it out and we were talking a bit about it and invest investors, I mean, uh, founders of companies were really taking to us in our strategy as an, a strategic investor, like how we work, they were really taking to our style. And um, I realized that the more I could do work for these companies, the more we were gonna get great deal flow and to really prove ourselves as an investor. So to have that vehicle would also benefit that side of our business. So I still was sitting on it. And then I went to a dinner at Peter Goober's house or a lunch during NBA All-Star Weekend. And um, I don't know if this happens to you guys, maybe during your conference when you had 500,000 people in the crowd. <laughs> Estimated. Where you look at yourself and you're like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? And I'm a fan of this whole world that I, that I live in, that I work in. I'm still a fan of all of it on another level. So I'm at Peter Goober's house and Pat Riley's sitting on one side of me and Jack Dorsey's on one side of me and, this NBA owner, and I'm like, how the fuck did I get here? This is my life's dream. And it was because of basketball, is how I saw it. It was because Kevin Durant believed in me and trusted in me. And these rooms that he was able to walk into because of how great he was at the game of basketball, that as a kid, if I had known that the sports world looked like that, that there was a way in like that, I would have been like, whoosh, from day one. So I said, let me create a brand that really represents that, that there's a world around sports and entertainment where it all makes sense, where people in the boardroom are wearing sweats, where everyone's different colors, different genders. And even though it might not be the richest people in the room, they're making a lot of the decisions and they're deciding what's fresh and they're influential and they can dictate where money moves. And that, that was what I wanted the brand to represent where all that intersected a bit and just to become a storyteller and an amplifier of other great people and other great successes and to be a voice a bit of all of the action that was happening in this world and to really sit there and be complimentary. And as the business has grown, that's still at the core of it. So it's immediate. So you see a lot of guys in that era that's like, so LeBron does Spring Hill, right? With Mav. And then 
Katie works with you and you guys have the boardroom, which is essentially you you produce content, right? Throw vents, produce content. You're shaping the narrative, as you just kind of said. Um, how important was that? Do you see this new age of athletes kind of, because athletes have always, always complained about narratives. They never got depicted correctly from reporters. You, they've never really, you know, liked how people in the news have written about them. There's always been conflicts, but now we're seeing that they're actually on the other side of it and controlling the narrative in the media. So talk about the dynamic that you see from the change in athletes complaining about media to them actually taking control and owning a piece of media. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing. I think because in sports, as much as any part of society, the media creating a storyline actually has such real life implications. And in the real world now, sadly, we're seeing it on the highest level, but this has been happening in sports for a while. And I think during Kevin's free agency, when we set up that whole scene in the Hamptons, it really hit me of like, <laughs> wait, like you, cause I remember Kevin said to me once, like, man, this shit ain't world news or something. And I'm like, no, I think it is, bro. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think this is world news. Like this is what it's come to. So, you know, the idea that um, an athlete, not just can create and and command their own narrative, but can build an entire ecosystem where an entire narrative can be created and an athlete can drive it, but an athlete can find other creators and other athletes and other partners and other stories that they wanna tell and that they can control. But I look at it as a bigger thing than that because I look at these athletes now as just some of the like, most sound young entrepreneurs. Um, not everybody, but a lot of athletes are exposed early to the conversation of business. You know, like my daughters, I got a 14 year old and a 10 year old. If my 14 year old was an incredible, potentially professional athlete, I'd be talking to her about business and life right now. I'd have to be preparing her for what some of these conversations mean that people are having with her and what some people want from her when they talk to her. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden now at 14 years old, she'd be like really way ahead of the curve in terms of how to approach business and life and people. Cause that's not what you're telling your 14 year old. You're teaching them certain things, but now these kids are 17, 18 years old and they're already thinking about things that I just never thought about at that point in my life, or maybe even understood or had that information. So I think what you're seeing is this incredible trend of athlete, moguls like potential moguls they're not all moguls but that's where their minds are at and with that they can control the narrative yeah it's interesting the conversation that you have with your daughter there's a trust that's there obviously as a father the conversation with kd i'm interested because we see a lot of i mean pretty much everybody has an agent but rarely do we see clients create businesses with their agent so what was that relationship like with for him to say, you know what, this is something that I want to do with you. How long did it take for you to build that rapport and to to get to the point where it's like, yeah, this is not my agent. This is also my business partner. Yeah. Um, I guess just in business time, four years, 2012 to around 2015, actually. So three years. But I had met Kevin his rookie year through Wale, who I was managing at the time, and they're both from the DMV. So I think it was this level of trust in our relationship that we had had, but it was also a bit of the climate of, you know, of the business, like what LeBron had started to build and create was becoming in a lot of ways, like the, 
the North Star, you know, and then what I think Kevin and I both grew up around watching like these hip hop labels of the 90s build these economies where Bad Boy at the center and it's vodka, magazines, parties, records, clothing. And that was something that was really aspirational. I think that was something, I mean, that was at the core of a lot of that era of athletes thinking about their business. And then, you know, in a lot of ways being able to say, all right, well, I can control all of this. Like I, I sit at the center of this economy and there's ways to build business all around it. And I think then the natural evolution was that because of the trust we had as his agent and as someone that I knew for a while, there was a confidence that um, that we could do something together. Yeah, I, I would say I see the pieces of it, right? Like how you just built out that ecosystem. You talked about bad boy what LeBron and Mav and Rich and Randy have been able to do. But I even hear like the Jeter part because prior to Players Tribune, there wasn't the voice of the athlete. And so like, these are all the influences. Let me now create our version of it and add some different aspects. Yeah, without question. Actually a good point, because I think Players Tribune was very much ahead of its time. And, and you know, if you think about, we um, announced Kevin's first free agency 2016 in the, through Players mm -hmm. Tribune, and we were investors at the time. I remember we were on the set of a commercial with American Family Insurance, and it was Kevin, Jeter, and J.J. Watt, and we were talking to Jeter about the free agency, and he was like, look, man, he's like, you own a piece of Players Tribune. Why would you even contemplate putting out his free agency anywhere else? So, I mean, it was obvious, but it, it was like, a, of course, like, you're right. And, you know, we were able to control it it's still to this day used as that like uh, picture that every time a team wins, they like make a little meme about it. But at the time, I mean, that was the exact point that we we controlled it. We told the story, we chose the photos, we decided the timing, and that was a, a inspiring like moment and real and realization. And then obviously watching what Uninterrupted and Spring Hill did. And I think what's happening now is that like you have to find your space and your differentiation, you know, and there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna probably watch or already watch what you guys have built. And if they try to model it exactly like the two of you, it's not gonna work. If they try to be the two of you, it's not gonna work. But if they take some inspiration from what the two of you have done and mold it into their own and show respect from where they're taking the inspiration, then I think that's a beautiful thing. So let's talk about the family office. Um, that's interesting because even before a lot of athletes, previously, this whole 30 for 30 about athletes going broke, right? And that was kind of stereotyped for a long period of time that athletes get money and they still go broke. Unfortunately, there's still some level of truth to that. But we're seeing that starting to change. Athletes getting into investing, taking their business a lot more serious. So can you explain what a family office is for anybody that doesn't know and what was, was that your idea that you pitched to KD or was that his idea that he pitched to you that he wanted to set up and start to really, you know, invest in a variety of different things and have a more structured organization when it comes to his finances? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, I guess the way we, we look at Kevin's family office is that, you know, Kevin generates money from a multiple, multiple places, multitude of places, Encore, Nike, investments in public markets, investments in private equity, investments in venture. Kevin is a very philanthropic young man with a long life in front of him and he wants to do a lot for his hometown of PG County. And then there's also just like the business of operating an athlete's life at the highest level, which is trainers and chefs and the amount of movement they do. He doesn't have a family currently. So 
you know, during the summer, he's moving and working out in different places and traveling. And what we were able to do is build a company around that, that's whole sole purpose was building generational wealth for Kevin, building philanthropic legacy in PG County, managing the people in his life that handle public stocks, that handle private equity. We do a lot of the venture and sports investing, but we've put incredible experts around us, but this family office sits at the center of it. Um, and I, I don't think it was ever like necessarily one of our ideas or the other, but when we got to the Bay, well, first of all, in talking about decision-making and where he was gonna play, for Kevin, it was always going to be about basketball, but for me as his agent, I needed to look at what came with that because if he's gonna work as hard as he's gonna work every single day in the gym and every day in practice, damned if I didn't work as hard and think that way and show up to everything and be proactive. So we get to the Bay, it's no joke, it's the first, second, third night we're there. And Steve Stout says, we're gonna throw Kevin a birthday party at Ben Harwitz's house. And Steve has always been somebody who's like giving me the, hey, go, you should go this way or look that way. You know what I'm saying? Like his style of mentoring, He's an incredible friend of mine, 20 plus years, but like mentoring comes in different shapes and sizes. It's not like, yo, come on, man, it's our Monday morning breakfast. Let me give you the game. It's just like little nods or um, little things to consider. And he was like, yo, we're gonna throw this dinner for Kevin. And he didn't really tell me much more, but the idea was that he was bringing people that he was meeting and he had been out there for a few years. And all of a sudden I was like Googling names in real time, oh shit. That's Ron Conway. They call him the godfather of angel investing. Well, shit. Well, then I got to know the godfather of angel investing. And it was that night where I left there. The first people we met were those type of people. And the next day I followed up on every relationship. And then every time I sat down for dinner and I said, you know, someone said to me, where do you guys want to focus? You think about early stage, series A, series B? I said, do me a favor. Tell me what all that means quick. And as soon as he told me what all that meant. I never forgot it again. And I kept learning and compounding that information. And all of a sudden we were investing. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have institutional knowledge of it, but I had a great instinct. I could read people. Kevin and I would share ideas and share thoughts. We'd sit with founders and companies that we understood. If it was something that was over our head or something that we couldn't relate to, it didn't matter if we were gonna miss it. We just started building it. And that all of a sudden it was like, shit, this is at the core of our business right now is that we're, getting great deal flow, we're respectful of the process and we're good investors once we invest. So that was kind of how that side of our business started. And when boardroom started to take off and I saw all the possibilities around boardroom, like any media business, you start seeing it works and it's hopefully limitless. Do conferences, product, subscription, TV, film, but you built the brand at the core. In order for us to go and do that and take a chance on something, it's not like we're innovating. We just built a brand for ourselves and something that we hope can grow and be something um, that's truly respected. But I had to make sure Kevin's business was tight because that's like how we got here. You know what I'm saying? And I wanted to make sure it was clear that like the respect I have for that side of Kevin's business, the family office, I was never going to take my eye off of. So that's kind of how we- So you manage, you manage the situation, Conda. You overlook the family. like So who, who? all right, he has a lawyer. He has a financial advisor. Oh yeah, I forgot I'm honoring your leisure. I'm gonna break down this. <laughs> He's got- This is gonna public, be a slide on board. Public stock portfolio <laughs> managers. Okay. We have somebody in the camp that works with us on private equity deals, later stage investments, sports investments and properties, but my eyes are on it all. I talked to Kevin about it all. We're all 
pretty seamless team. Um, there's Venture, which my office, the 35V office, does a lot of that work. Um, and then there's Kevin's uh, philanthropic kind of like two sides to that. His father runs Team Durant, which is his AAU organization. His mother runs the Durant Family Foundation. We have a standalone building in PG County called the Durant Center, where there's a college track program at the ground floor, which is a partnership with Emerson Collective and Lorene Jobs. And then there's the Durant Family Foundation offices in there as well. And then Kevin has a lifetime deal with Nike, um, and he's on his 17th shoe that will come out next summer. So we're on 16 right now. So that all operates within that family office. And then all of those people, his lawyer, his business manager that's paying bills and doing estate planning and insurance and paying chefs and security, they work with us as well. And then we have like our private equity guy. That's a lot. That That is a lot. That's a hell of a portfolio. I wonder, as you're building this portfolio out, is there a vision to say, you know what? Because people don't mention KD as the next billion dollar athlete. But based on everything that we're seeing from a business standpoint, the trajectory is right there. Are there strategic goals and how to reach those goals? Is, is that part of the planning as well? Yeah. Well, it sucks that he's not because he sh he should be as much as anybody. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? I think because he's quiet. He doesn't yeah. really talk. He's not really on social media. Yeah, I, I want to get to the talking part too because yeah. you're good. Yeah, no, but um, I think one thing that um, somebody made a point of saying to me a few years ago that stuck with me is like, at some point you got to start thinking about making sure you like what you own and you want what you own. Like you can't just be in investing in things because you think the investment's great. You should really want what it is that you own. So I think for us, like that's been part of the strategy. It's like, all right, you've built this incredible core base where because of your hard work and your gifts and your skills, you were able to make an insane amount of money on the court. And because you were able to have a level of relevance and an incredible encore business to build a Nike business for 17 years. You now have a lifetime deal. So that's incredible. And you've put great people around you to build your wealth upon wealth, but you're 35. Now you're going to retire 40 years old, 41 years old, 39, 43, whatever it is, he's not going to play forever. So how do you maintain that level of income? How are you going to make 50 fixed? on another job in the world besides the NBA, right? And Nike is a level of cash and royalties. So there's some commitment and annuity and knowing you have that. But then you got to think about like, what do I want to do? So he loves the idea that him and I own boardroom 50-50, but building a business is, it's all a variable, right? Like you don't know if that's going to bring you great wealth or not, but that's part of the portfolio. He's invested in sports teams, which is part of the future. And he was able to get in an MLS at a very um, low price and valuations have exploded. And we've put a lot of bets in a lot of different sports properties. And post-career, I'm sure Kevin will take a shot at owning a major sports team. And so all of that will add to the wealth. But then it's starting to identify things that we want to keep building out and things that Kevin wants to own. Is it real estate? Is it consumer brand? Is it in the QSR space? You know, you look at what like Junior Bridgman built, exceptional. You guys had him on the conference. You know, I think a lot of these businesses that are more kind of familiar and traditional are all of a sudden really attractive with the idea that like the economy's fucked up and crypto went away and NFTs are dead, all these headlines you read and just the reality of the world. So now all of a sudden things like 
Burger King start to seem <laughs> way safer, you know? <laughs> Somebody's got to eat. Can, can I do a follow-up really quick? Because we, we've heard the lifetime contract. We saw Iverson had a lifetime contract with Reebok. We see Braun got it with Nike. What does that really look like? Is it based on the, the, the amount of percentage of royalties from a shoe sale? Do you have to keep making shoes after you're done playing or part yeah. of the merchandise? How does that, what does a lifetime contract look like? Well, I think like, it's a really good question because there is no like one term for a lifetime deal, but I think there's the commitment to the partnership. So like you can be a partner by showing up for the brand and being a sponsor. You can be a partner by having them put out new product and getting paid for the new product or getting a royalty. But in the case of Kevin, like he'll retire with 20 plus seasons of a signature line, you know, doing nine figures every year. So if you think about that in the frame form of a business, like there's billions of dollars. So if that's managed right, you're getting annuities and you're getting royalties all the time. And, you know, see what they do with the phone posit with Penny. And, you know, as great as Penny was, he doesn't have Kevin's career or Kevin's body of shoes. So, you know, there's a commitment to supporting that business. But ultimately, Nike's not going to put product out if they don't think it's going to sell. So, you're never going to get Nike to be like, yeah, 25 years from now, we're going to have the KD61 or whatever. It's just not going to commit to that. But I think it's the <laughs> idea that they're committing to the partnership. That you're committing to Nike for life and they're committing to you for life. I think it's interesting to see the athletes from past era and their relationship with sneaker companies now. So Deion Sanders, Nike athlete, left Nike. And now in Colorado, Nike came back. Nike and now they're releasing his sneakers again. Now they Earners, what's up? Look, this episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your money. I can't front. The nerds have helped me get smarter about a few things, like planning my tax bills so that I don't dread April every year. Or making a budget that's balanced, not just buying sneakers and fly clothes. Or saving on travel because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night or maybe a five-star dinner. Or boosting my credit score since we all know credit is like the real-life cheat code. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines can have on your life. You'll get the clarity you need to make smart decisions with confidence. Smart money is the smartest way to get even smarter about money. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you? Well, thank you. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. But now he's in his second wave. He's actually more relevant now than he ever was. And... Nike is, is fully behind them again. Or Allen Iverson, legendary. talked about Steve Stout, legendary campaign and sneakers with Reebok. And we just see that he was named Reebok. What was it basketball? He's the vice president of Reebok, Shaq the president. Him and Shaq. So I, it's just interesting to see, like you're talking about that lifelong situation where even after they're still, even after they're playing, 
still have some level of relevancy in, mm-hmm. in the sports world. So that relationship is still there. But my question is about angel investing. So you pretty much, you kind of taught yourself about angel investing, right? Like you didn't go to school for it. So we kind of similar. We're learning about angel investing and we made a lot of angel investments in the last couple of years. I have a two-part question. How, what do you look for when you're investing in companies? Like what's your due diligence that you say, okay, this is something that I think is a good investment? Um, it's evolved, but I guess at the core of it is like, because we're making earlier stage investments and because we're not putting in insane amounts of money, we're not a private equity company, we're not a big venture capital firm, um, is A, just whether I connect with the founder and whether I can 100% see this founder leading a business to becoming a successful business. And I think there's certain traits and certain DNA in a founder that it is part of the process. So like, yes, are there founders that have built companies that maybe didn't have that at first? Sure, but for me, I need to feel that and see that and understand that vision of this person can build this company into exactly what they say it is. Number two is just like whether I can explain it to the next person. Do I really understand the business? So if it's a consumer brand, what's this like differentiator again, like we talked about, that allows this company to have its own space? Clearly there's a level of like institutional due diligence that needs to be done, but I think at the early stage where we're investing, it's gotta be like, do we see that in their eyes? Do we understand the business? Do we understand the market and the way to get that business to where they wanna go? And can I be useful and helpful? And then I've even pushed how I look at that to another level now, cause I'm building out this whole boardroom ecosystem where some of these businesses like in the form of these sports investments, they make sense in our overarching business. So if I believe in the founder of the PLL, Paul Rabel, and I know he has it to be a rock star entrepreneur, and I believe in these sports properties that never had the same opportunity in light of day in this new world, I see the way in which the PLL could be a successful league. And then can boardroom support it? Does it bring value to our platform? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So it's all of those things for us that I look at. Um, as we've done bigger deals in private equity and as we've done, um, bigger investments, I have allowed in that part of the process that I need to learn from, you know what I'm saying? And that's having great people to sound off of, to understand the economics, to read into the financials more, but early stage, it's usually that. You guys invested in ring? In ring? No, I wish. Katie, it was, it was one thing that he invested in that made headlines, right? Postmates, really early. Postmates, yeah, 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 the delivery. In like 2014, yeah, yeah, 15. You were involved with that? Yes. Okay. So that was like the big, that's been the biggest deal so far that you guys invested in? No, I mean, it had a lot of notoriety because of the time. Okay. 2014, 15 on demand food service was like blowing up. And um, when Kevin went to the Bay, Postmates took out this billboard that was like KD delivered. And it was like just a timely moment. And we did very well. But there's been other investments um, that has had incredible return or you know, on paper still, even with the state of the economy, have incredible returns. Um, but, you know, Postmates, I think early on was one of those ones just because of the time. You're building a media company, right? This is 2019 and then obviously 2020 happens and the way we do media changes. Talk about the the shift in or the adjustment that you guys had to make because prior to that, we go talking about how KD was pretty quiet, pretty, you know, reluctant to speak to media until he has his own platform where he can speak freely and create his own show. You have your own show uh, out the office. Talk about the, the shift and adjusting that you had to do post 
uh, yeah. the pandemic. Well, we were lucky that we weren't that big of a business yet. It actually benefited us because my original concept for this was that we sold two seasons of a show to ESPN and did 12 episodes on ESPN called The Boardroom. And I was always planning on building a business that was gonna complement it, but I was really leaning in on this ESPN relationship. And right before the pandemic, we did a boardroom panel at MIT, and I was hoping to like keep building off of that. When the pandemic hit, ESPN told us quickly, like we're not gonna be able to pick up a season three. We understood, I mean, I was tight, but we understood. Um, but then I had that like moment where I was like, you have to deal with this moment, a bit of like self-reflection where I was like, let's be honest, no one's gonna give a shit if I just stop. There's no <laughs> one out there, you know, like nobody's telling me to do it. KD's not gonna tell me like, you're not my agent anymore. If I don't do boardroom, my wife wasn't gonna leave me. But I just like took one night to be like, is this, is this what the fuck I wanna do? And I was like, hell yeah, like straight up, like right then, hell yeah. This is the word, boardroom. This is gonna be the phrase, this is gonna be the brand that's kind of gonna be on my back now where I like make this like new part of my journey. And I wanted to build a brand around it. And I, and I have a hard time even saying media company. I mean, I think for me now, it's really like a brand that we built and where it shows up and what I can do with it now, I, I don't know the media side of it can power it all. The media can make everything we do bigger and louder and I can control the narrative like you said. But I see it as a brand now that we're building, you know? And for me, I, that moment, I was like, all right, yes, I'm gonna do this. This is exactly what I wanna do. Mm -hmm. So, okay, Premier Lacrosse League, right? You guys, you had a, a street lacrosse event. Yeah. We actually went to it really? uh, a few weeks ago. In the rain. Yes, sir. <laughs> What's your involvement with lacrosse? And it's very interesting because um, it was like streetball lacrosse. That's like the comparison I can kind of give to it. And I, I found out that it's actually been picking up a lot of steam and it's becoming very popular. Um, how did you get involved with lacrosse and what's your involvement in, in, the, in that lacrosse league? Yeah, I mean, I don't ha have like a close connection to the sport of lacrosse at all. Um, but I was able to meet Paul. I love sports. He's the, he's the head of- he's Paul Rabel is the he's, founder and CEO, him and his brother. Um, they're co-founders. And I was able to learn a lot more about Paul through Joe Sai because Joe Sai is very involved in lacrosse as a sport. His whole family is in Brooklyn Nets. Yes, sir. Yep. Owner. Owner of the Brooklyn Nets. So in paying attention to it and seeing and watching some of the games, I saw exactly what I needed to see. It was like here was this ravenous community. Here was this fan base that loved the sport. Here were athletes that were elite at what they did, the best in the world. And here was this founder that was not only an incredible player, but was carrying this league on its back. So from an investment standpoint, I was like, I'm in and I believe in this. But what I then started to realize in dealing with Paul was like, what would we bring to it? What could Boardroom bring to it? And when he told me this idea around street lacrosse, we instantly realized like, let's make, let's make it feel like the Rucker. And why can't a sport of lacrosse be at the center? You know, why can't um, these incredible lacrosse players in like six o'clock on a Friday night in New York City and an outside playground in September, turn this into a moment and have a DJ and have food trucks and create a moment. And again, if you peel it back, like was there a bigger why? No, but I'm really into creating moments and creating opportunities to bring people together, opportunities to you know, have two brands align and add 
incremental value for each other. I think it's like we can only grow off of each other. So it was like that feeling of like, here are some of the best athletes in the world and let's create a moment that's like our style. And I feel like we did that. I mean, I hope you guys had a good time. It was like a rainy night in New York, but it felt like that a little bit. That was good. It was good, it was good energy. At the time, I mean, it's New York Fashion Week. Yeah. The timing of it was great. Is that the similar vision when you looked at Pickleball? Because even now, like, I I studied sports pedagogy and Pickleball is something that I played in school. But prior to, nobody even knows what that is. So yeah. uh, even the demographic that plays it, it doesn't look like yeah. KD. And all, like, so how did you guys decide, all right, we're doing pickleball. Where you, was the influence from other athletes? I know Tom Brady's involved. There's some other athletes that were were buying teams. And what's the vision for that? Well, that that it, a lot of this shit comes out of curiosity. But for me, um, during the summer of 2022, when Kevin uh, it became public that Kevin wanted to get traded, you know, that summer, I was um, using pickleball as my stress reliever and I was playing all the time and doubles doubles yeah <laughs> like intense games with friends of mine and peers of mine and like a lot of things and I'm, I bet you guys have similar experiences like you're in the middle of something and all of a sudden your mind races to like what's the business of this like what is this I'm not just going to play this I want to know it all and as I explored it a bit it very similar to all these other sports properties we invested in it was clear that this was a sport that was exploding, a business that was at its infancy stages, and an opportunity to invest, help shape it and mold it, and a sport that I thought could connect. Now, I don't know if the league's gonna work, I believe in it, and I'm obviously you know, going to support this thing all the way through, but it felt like the right investment and right thing to explore because the sport was exploding. So I wanted to have a firsthand look at like how this thing was coming to life, and then I could, utilize all that content in that community to help build boardroom more so and like create that flywheel. And then owning our own franchise is fun. And then it's part of building the business. And I think what it happens with Kevin when we have those combos is we were in Austin, Texas, and I went to um, meet up with him and see Texas, Alabama. And I'm like, let me break this whole shit down to you. You know, and we've had so many of these moments where like I'm bringing something into his world that he never really heard of, like pickleball, right? And I'm like, this is why we're doing this shit. And Kevin is really fucking smart. And I don't think he has ever gotten credit for how smart he is and like how much he's really quickly adapted to everything we've explored in business, whether it was venture or media or the sports investing. He hears it one time similar to me and he really picks it up. And he understood it. We went to see a bunch of other um, investors in the league at this like place they call the Pickleball Ranch in Austin, Texas. And Kevin played a little bit and he just read the culture, believed in me. We took a shot at it. And as he's learned more and more, you know, he really gets it now and sees the opportunity for the league. Uh, but again, you know, there's a mutual benefit across the board. You know, I see the value of building this league and telling the stories around the building of the league on our platform and, you know, and so showing up. Pickleball essentially is like handball, kind of, right? No. No? It's, it's more it's more tennis with a paddle. You play paddle, with a paddle? A yeah. paddle. But it's against a wall. No, no, no. no, no. It's, it's a net in between. So it's like tennis in a sense, a much smaller court. Uh, but like with a wiffle ball and a paddle. So it's really fun because it's not as fast as tennis. Yeah. So more people can play it and you can it's one of these games that you can play longer. Whereas somebody who's playing tennis, if you know, arthritis slows you down, you're not gonna move the same. Pickleball is a slower game. It's it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you let you play ping pong? I've played ping pong. Yes, yeah, so you, you know, you get in a really good game of ping pong, you're sweating, you may really think that you were working out. Well, this is actually like yeah. 
you are taking a pickleball up, ping pong court, spreading it out. There's some tennis instincts. But if you have good hand-eye coordination, you played with like a paddle or a racket in any sport, you'll get it. The one with the walls is called padel or paddle, that one where it's even more of like a fast-paced sport like yeah. tennis. That's somewhat like a handball. Yeah, there's some similarities. That's what I'm saying. That's, yeah. that's like handball, kind of. Yeah, that is. What he just explained is like handball. So, like, all right. Pickleball is like on a... It's on a tennis court, but it's modified very small. Yeah, you could fit four pickleball courts on one tennis court. Yeah. So you're we, we should play doubles. You're you're a sports guy. So you're invested in a lot, a lot of these alternative sports, right? Pickleball and lacrosse. Where do you see the future of sports going? Because we see soccer is becoming well, football, depending on where you live in the world, is becoming very big in America. Um it hasn't always been big, but now it's becoming messy coming. It's like, it's, it's picking up a lot of things. Yep, World Cup coming. Volleyball is one of these sports that's been around for a long time, but that's kind of picking up some momentum. And then the lacrosse thing is interesting. Pickleball is, is hot right now. Baseball's dying, has been dying for years. Yeah, but it had a great year this, this year. This year is great. The tennis is up. Viewership Shortening is up. The, the pitch clock. Yeah. They changed the rules. These young stars, but I, I get your But just in general. Yeah. yeah. Basketball to the moon. Football is interesting. Different planet. Huh? Different universe. Football. Well, yeah. It's a it's a 50-year plan for football because youth participation in football is drastically declining. Yes. So even though it's still number one yeah. in America, there's no international presence really. Youth participation is declining. Like my son plays football, seventh and eighth grade team. He's the only seventh grader on the team because none of the other seventh graders' parents will yeah. let them play. So at some point, football is gonna have to get a little concerned. So what's your what's your what's your thoughts on the future of sports and the ecosystem of where we're at right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna have a very optimistic view because it's the world I'm in and I love it. Um, even as it relates to football, I saw that you know the Olympic Committee is allowing flag football in, right? Yeah. And I think and, uh, a global expansion. 2028 in LA. In 2028, I think that's good for the sport, and I'm hoping that football finds a way to innovate whether from the technology and equipment standpoint or something, because it's still like everybody's favorite sport in some ways. But I think for me, I, I think there's this shift happening where because the media only allowed for certain sports to be able to be televised the way basketball and football and tennis when it was the majors and golf when it was the majors and NASCAR for the big races, there was never an outlet for all these other sports. There was not enough of, a, of money or opportunity or brand or belief in any of these as businesses because they always had to compare them to the major sports. Well, now all of a sudden, A, there's this premium on experience and real life moments and fan engagement and being able to create that sense of community. So I think that gives all of these sports opportunities in the physical. Then from a media standpoint, with all of these different ways to stream content and break up rights and all the multitude of outlets that there are, all of these sports now have opportunities. You saw the NWSL, the Women's Soccer League, just got a big media deal. CBS, yep. Yep. And the fact that it's one of the only live occurrences left, it brings an insane amount of value to streaming services and to broadcast TV or whatever's left of it. And there's communities. They're not the size of the NBA, but they're communities that love these sports. And then the number one reason is these are the best in the world at what they do. And I'm just like, 
somehow, some way, if you have the best in the world at what they do, there's has to be puzzle pieces there to create a business around it. Best female softball players in the world. I was in Chicago in August at the Athletes Unlimited um, event that they did for their softball league. And it's like, there's no difference between those women and how hard they had to work, even harder at some points, because they have to have two jobs along the way to do this. And I think that there's a world in which if you're the best in the world at what you do, that there's a business there. So I'm bullish on all of them. So I wonder from from how you're strategically laying this out, the ownership piece is very important and you own your own franchises. Like you said, in Pickleball, right? You, you're doing it with MLS. You had uh, DC United, I'm sure. No, Philly Union. F Philly Union, I'm sorry. I'm thinking DC because yeah. uh, KD. We tried that first, but they didn't want us in the same way. That's um, Yo Gotti. Yeah, Yo Gotti, yes. I'm, when he said DMV, I'm thinking him. But is it to show in the portfolio, yes, we have ownership experience, when the opportunity comes for one of the four majors to come and say, you know what, there's a franchise that we're trying to have expansion in, in the city, Seattle perhaps, to show that we've, we've, we've had ownership, we've proven ourselves, we wanna be part of the conversation? Silver lining, I think. Like, yes, but no. It's not the reason for the investments, but it's a great added bonus that we can sit in on board meetings and understand the economics of a franchise and understand the way these franchises are built and how media deals are done. So yes, I think there's a great knowledge base that you know Kevin can take from this into potentially owning a professional sports team in one of the majors. But I also think there's an incredible you know value first in the investments we've made. And you know, you look at the MLS, like you said, this may end up being one of the major leagues in the U.S. Could pass now. Yeah. yeah. So you got an event coming up with Visa. Yeah. And uh, little baby Mike Rubin's going to be in attendance. Um, what's what is that, and what should people expect from that? Well, I mean, I think I'm hoping to do as many of those type of events throughout the year. Um, again, I don't, you know, I think our style of doing these things may not be at the scale of what you guys just did. Which again, I, you know, I told you, I commend you for it every way, like just getting there, pulling it off, having that many people in the room, the conversations, the panelists you had. But I think for us, it's like we've we've seen these places where we can really impact. So for something like that, it's gonna be about curating a really small intimate room of really influential people, having a conversation on stage as if it was a night out, like truly like going to the theater. And it'll be a fireside chat that I'll moderate and you'll feel like it's a vibe a bit more than if you were just at a conference. And even the conference we did this past summer with CNBC, which was, I guess, our version of a bigger conference, I think it was a perfect blend of like the credibility and like the institution of a major business network and then like the vibe and the people we brought to the room and the energy in the room. Um, so it's, it's just another of multitude things you'll see of us taking boardroom into real life. As far as in-person experiences. Yeah. So that's important to your your vision for the company. I, it's it's as important as anything. I really think that that's where we're um, at our best. I think that people really value that. I think there's a lot to learn from connectivity and building your network and access. You know, when people ask you, and I'm sure you guys get asked this, like, what would you tell a young entrepreneur? And it's like, I don't have anything to say to a young entrepreneur. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful <laughs> because... All those other lines are so cliche, like build your network, man. Like I think working is 
good advice. And I know that sounds <laughs> like boring, but <laughs> you know, back in the day, I would have given a, a ridiculous answer. And now I'm like, I think the one missing ingredient from a lot of entrepreneurs is they don't actually want to do the work. Like you really have to do the work. Like there is no skipping the step. Um, but I think, I think for, for us, you know, I think, uh, I think for us, what I've realized is like my, my skill set, and one of the things I can do is bring people together. And if I can create those moments of connectivity and network and offer them up, then that's better mm -hmm. than just like telling somebody like, go build your network. So I hope to have a nice mix of people in the room where it's not like just a hundred people that you may never get a chance to talk to. It's gonna be a blend of people that are young and up and coming, people that are successful, people that are successful that are looking for young and up and coming people. When is it? Um, November 9th. Can anybody come? No, and I fucked up and posted the post the flyer today, and it got yelled at. But you two can. I hope you're hopefully you're both here. November 9th? Yeah. So it's just like invite only. Yeah, but I, I don't know what came over me this morning. <laughs> you posted get... it, did you posted it this morning? Yeah. yeah, and then people were hitting me up like, yo, put me down plus three. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> what did I do here? I actually saw it. I saw it. it went, and then the CC Sabathia cover story came yeah. right after that. Yeah, I quickly went to that. <laughs> I don't know so, what I don't know what happened to me this morning, man. But yeah. it, it, it's interesting because even in the conferences, there's still a musical theme, right? There, there are still musicians that are part of it. Talk about the importance of blending those two worlds where you see obviously you can have Michael Rubin, but you can have a little baby, even with the conference you had uh in during the summer. Travis Scott was part of it. Yep. So talk about in, infusing those two worlds. Well, I mean, I, I miss the music business now, which is crazy because it's like um I, I find myself you know, I'm, I'm still Kevin's agent, but I have gotten away from being an agent and representing talent. And I've really gotten more into building a brand and investing and being entrepreneurial. And, you know, that's still that like pull that I love about the music industry. I think now I can kind of fulfill myself with by telling stories around some of the same things in music that I do in sports and shedding light on some of the people and some of the partnerships and some of the companies and the labels in the music world like I have with sports. And then as we build more of these events and these moments, you know, also integrating musicians and labels and um, streaming services into what we're doing and starting to shed a little bit of light on that side of the music business from our vantage point. And it's not gonna be the same as what hits daily double or you know a bt or all hip-hop i don't even know who the music platforms are um but for us it'll be kind of always rooted in sports but it'll be the vantage point of that what we see the music industry so i don't watch tv but i i was interesting because um i think i think it was megan who's the head of a16z cultural leadership fund i think she was the one that was advocating somebody was advocating for a show called swagger yeah and they were saying that it was like the best show arguably ever created um that's you guys show right yeah so now i'm interested to watch the show thank you i haven't watched it but i've heard that it was exceptional so how did that come about and walk us through swagger for anybody that has not been familiar with it yeah <laughs> you're like i don't watch tv <laughs> I, I don't stream either <laughs> but um so this is a good example of, I guess, uh, knowing yourself and like knowing what you can bring to um, a situation, what you can. And at this time in our career, this was 2017, 
um, Kevin and I, in all of our conversations and all of our travels, I would hear so much about his rec center growing up. And it was almost like everything that happened in his life as a kid was happening in the backdrop of this rec center. Um, and then it like one day I said, man, wait, what are we gonna do? Like this rec center is everything. And he was like, we gotta do something. And conversation like kept going. And we somehow were like found this idea of Friday Night Lights was this like cult classic. It kind of showed you what Friday night football and like football in the state of Texas was like. And people fell in love with these characters and grew up with these characters. So there's no real true similarity, but there was something about that that stuck with us and we kept saying it. And then we kept talking about this idea for the show and it was evolving in different ways. And then Kevin and I went to Google camp in 2017 in Sicily, incredible experience. And what's, Brian, what's that? And Google does these like conference camps by invite only. And this one was in Sicily. And then it was one of those like boardroom moments for me where I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, like really just pinching myself at the people that were around and the conversations that I was able to hear. And um, Brian Grazer was there. So we went up to him and we said, we want to do something that is like Friday Night Lights. You created or you were a part of building Friday Night Lights. And Kevin's got this story to tell about his rec center. So we partnered with Imagine. And, and my point about like knowing where you're at is, you know, a lot of people wouldn't understand why I had to partner with another production company. But the reason I had to partner was because I didn't have that infrastructure then. I didn't have that knowledge then. I didn't have the clout then. And Brian did, and he believed in us. And we partnered with him and he taught us so much. And Brian's company is Imagine, him and Ron Howard. And then we sought out, uh, set out to get a writer and we found Reggie Blythewood, who's just incredible. And um, we were able to sell Swagger to Apple. And season one took place during the pandemic. And we actually wrote everything in real time masks, the pandemic, the protests, and it was all in season one, but it didn't connect the same way um, that it has now. And season two connected on another level. And I hear that a lot. And it's just such a special project. And like, I've never felt as proud as I did of like being a part of something as like finishing season two and feeling like, oh my God, I played a small part of this. So it's about the rec center? It's loosely based on that and loosely based on Kevin's life. What it ultimately turned into was like based in um, Prince George's County, Maryland. It picks up with this AU team. And this past year they were seniors in high school, but in season one, it picks up with this AU team and the different AU coaches and the relationships and life and basketball's the backdrop, but it's this like- So it's all kinds of different street elements, yes, there's sir. girls involved, Family, there's girls people involved. getting paid under the table, yes. college Sneaker coaches coming in, all companies. That. And then season two, it's about like relationships and kids figuring out like, about loyalty and sticking with your team and sticking up for coaches and injustices and having to do all that while still maintaining this like love of the game. And then if we get a season three, hopefully they'll go on to this next stage again. Season three will be on the way. Uh, another piece of, of art that you put together that we are proud of being from New York, New York City point guards. Yes. Talk about that being from New York, obviously loving sports. Uh, and I wonder if they're- Point gods. Point gods, what's that, point gods. Yeah, we there there are a few point guards from our generation that I'm sure were hey, why weren't we part of this? So <laughs> Yeah. Talk about that. Who was who wasn't a part of it? I think everybody was a part of it. Well it stopped. Yeah. It stopped. So we Who was the last one? It never Belly got, Bam? 
We didn't get there. No, no, we didn't you get there. Fam in there. No, 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 that's the point. That's it's what I'm like, saying. Stop. So oh, you gotta have Sebastian's not no, no, there. No, it was 80s, 90s. It's 80, Sebastian's not part of it. Omar Cook, Dre Barrett's not part of it. Oh, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. They, they, yeah, yeah, but but Tariq Brown, this. Tariq yeah. Brown, Omar so, Cook. So Tariq Brown was interviewed in it. Omar Cook was interviewed interviewed in it. But we did Yeah, so interviewed interviewed in it, but we did not cover cover them. And the idea for it was that there was an era in time in the 80s and 90s where A, I grew up watching them. So again, like from an authenticity standpoint, that was the story I felt like I had a- um, Vested interest in. A vested interest in, number one. Number two, I feel like whatever happened before, which was obviously Bob Cousy, Lenny Wilkins, Tiny Archipaul, like right, right, these right. are legends. Yeah, They inspired this era. This era went on to inspire that era. But this era we were referring to as cultural superheroes, people that I believed were direct results of hip hop and basketball coming together. Yeah. And that was Kenny Smith, Mark Jackson, Kenny Anderson, God Sham God, um, Skip to my Lou, Rod Strickland, and Stefan Marbury. And that was this 80s, 90s era. And I, I'm not sure if I'm missing anyone. That may be the most proud of anything I've ever worked on that I've been. And that was because Mark Jackson was my idol growing up. Every one of these dudes was my idol. Absolutely idolized them. Went to Golden Hoops, waited out line, went everywhere to watch these guys play. You grew up a Knicks fan? Grew up a diehard Knicks fan. Yeah, Mark Jackson was like my god as a, yeah. as a kid. Yeah, those, those are the first games I ever remember was Mark Jackson, Rod Strickland, Trent Tucker. Yep. Ewing, yep, Darryl Wilkins, Darryl Wilkins, Ewing, yeah, yeah, of course, Scott, Kenny Skywalker, yeah, that's why I'm all in on St. John's again. I mean, I've always loved St. John's. St. John's fan, you didn't yeah. did you go to St. John's? No, but everyone thinks I did because I go so hard for them. But I didn't go to college, so I'm just like fuck it. Unofficial booster, yes, <laughs> straight up. Patino's back, so Patino's back. I love this. I I got tickets this season. I'm all in. But you know, I, honestly, I didn't realize how many people actually. I think we're disappointed with some storylines are people that we left out for sure and i also felt like there were some people that felt like like why y'all making it you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. and um we wanted to make it but i think what i've learned is that that's unavoidable and that i actually did make it you know <laughs> nobody else did day, like, what can you do i was appreciative of it, it like the skip part dope the Ross strickland piece and, yeah. i mean because there is no Kyrie. Without exactly. that piece, you know what I mean. Exactly. So I think that that's important. That's a guy we feel. I feel like that gets overlooked. There is no Kyrie, or he played yeah. a part. Well, he, Godfather, God, he told him how to play basketball. His father played basketball, though. But his, he showed him how to handle the rock. Showed him how to. He, tell, he gives him the there credit. Is no Kyrie is a strong statement to make. That's so Kyrie, he's Kyrie is going to. He played a, a part. huge part. Played a part. Played a part in his life. A huge part. part in his life. But a huge part. Yeah, because his dad never went professional. No, but his it, dad was a hell of a ball player. Though. No, but style of play. I style of play is more yeah. Rod Strickland. I will say Rod is a is a uh, unique example because there's an argument, you know, that a lot of them deserve their own film altogether. You know what I'm saying? For so sure. like, yeah. there was a part of me that felt like, damn, I Rod needed like an hour. Yeah, like his significance and the respect that people have for him. And Stefan just had the film that Cootie and Chike did that we were able actually to produce with them. Um, a kid from Coney Island. And then obviously like I would do a, a movie on Mark if you wanted, but like the idea of that was just like that era, that moment, that feeling. And like the Cameron Sham God dynamic in great. the film yeah, that's dope. is the example of what like the essence of the film was. He's in Riverside yeah. when y'all did it. And that connection between the two of them yeah. 
the memories, the stories of like the shoes with the, uh, you know, with the lid oh, on it. <laughs> Did you ever had those? What you know, like people wanted to, yeah, I had those. so we used to yeah. wear the, the yeah. joints that. Yeah, I had those. Yeah, had he said just walked around in them all the time. Shamgar? Yeah. So, all right. Who's the, who's the, best, <laughs> New York City, who's the best New York City point guard ever in history? Who's yours? I, have, I know who mine is. Well, who, who's yours? I, I don't want to taint the conversation by saying mine. Okay. Well, I'll be consistent with my entire life, and I'll just say Mark Jackson because he's my favorite player ever. I will say, though, that what I got feedback-wise from people was that Kenny Anderson, Rod Strickland, and Marbury were, like, different. That was my... Okay. For sure. For okay. sure. So okay. mine, I wasn't old enough to fully appreciate Kenny Anderson and Rod Strickland. But Stephon Marbury's impact, different. <laughs> different. Different. Everybody knew him. He's coming down, shooting from half court. He had the part. You got to realize, he actually transcended basketball. He had the part in the middle of his head. Everybody started doing that. Good to Steph. It was a... That's a fact. Um, Steph, I think, has to be the greatest New York City point guard. And he actually had a hell of a career. It's unfortunate the later part of his career it kind of got a little derailed. But he had a second run in China. He's actually a legend. Legend, in China. legend yeah. So, um, this, yeah. This, this is this is gonna be. Where's this is my camera? Zoom in here. This is gonna be a rare moment in the history of Earn Your Leisure where I will one thousand percent agree with Rashad. Wow. Steph Marbury, to me, wow, is but the, I, the greatest point guard that New York City. Has seen, but I will say this. But, but Kenny Anderson was is incredible as well. The buzz around Kenny Anderson—that was my brother's favorite player growing yeah. up. I will say this: Sebastian Telfair is the best movie I've ever seen when it comes to sports. Through that the fire. That's, a, Through a, the that's actually that's unbelievable. Hard. That was hard. That was hard. That was hard. Um, well, you didn't see Point Guards, though, did you? <laughs> he don't stream and he don't watch TV. I mean, don't watch TV. No, 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 I watched no. it. No, no, no. A few times. I have to watch. No, I, I want to watch it. Sebastian Joint, the only movie you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it was Who Dreams. <laughs> it was Who Dreams. And, that, and then he stopped watching it after that. That's so no more, more movie no, 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 I want to see I want to see Point Guard. That's actually something that I'm very interested in seeing. Because I saw the date. I saw the um the premiere. Yeah. And I knew a lot of people that was at the premiere. I didn't get invited, but that's another story. We that's a talk. different who, who story. For a different thing. Me? I would, I would, <laughs> me, but to I didn't be get fair, we wasn't all, we, no, I didn't know each other like sure, that. For then. sure. Yeah. For you're sure. right. You're right. But I will say that New York City is predicated on street ball and the best street ball player ever. That's in, not a in question. No, it is. No, that's not, that's not. Oh, it's not even enough for debate, bro. That's not a debate. You can't say it's not a debate because you got guys like Pee Wee Kirkland, Joe Hammond. You got guys who had hell of a career. But I just yeah. think that Skip Tamalu was the greatest street ball player of all time because he's the only one that's actually successfully transitioned from street legend yeah. to NBA. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's it's why crazy I, to Skip played in the NBA, though, too. For right? a long time. And, and it was good. It was made game. to the finals. Oh, yeah. finally. He was a legitimate yeah, player. Yeah. And played a hell of a career. Yeah, Skip. Had, yeah, it's pretty ill. Now he's coaching. Went to Fresno with no high school diploma, GED. Was on the cover of Slam. Best point guard ever. That's what... On the cover the of said, when that like I know it's, Slam it's is kind of like it's not, great for the best point guard. No, Slam played a major part. No, I'm saying now it doesn't have the same uh, prevalence that it did then. But like that was like making it on the cover of Vogue for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. There was no different than the source. Like yeah, yeah. The, he that was that's it. You yeah. you made it. Yeah, you're right. Can I ask you a, a question? Because I think you're one of the rare people that can answer this question. 
and probably one of the only people who's been on Ernie Leisure that can answer this. And the time when a player requests a trade, you said that you had to play pickleball to release some stuff. What is that like for you, knowing that you're the middleman, you're the liaison that talks to the player, talks to the franchise, but also is seeking other places for that player to go? What does that, what is it like to be in that moment? Yeah. Well, invigorating, to be honest. I think that instance was a bit different because um, I didn't represent anyone else. And I'm in New York. I was a lifelong Nick fan. And when Kevin wanted to play in Brooklyn, he had a vision and I always ride with whatever he wanted to do. And I totally was like, shit, I see it. <laughs> Fucking see it. And next thing I knew, this like lifelong Nick fan was a net fan sitting at every game in Brooklyn and loving it and consuming it and becoming close with everyone in the organization. And I felt some of that feeling that I think players feel, right? Even though I wasn't in any way, but I felt very close to the organization. So it was tough because here was my man, my right-hand man, my brother, one of my closest friends in the world, my business partner, who was now gonna be leaving. So it was a different emotional kind of um, feeling. But what overshadows that is A, my job is him. I'll tell you something that Jimmy Iovine told me during that summer, and he said it in Defiant Ones, and he's one of my, if not my, greatest like inspiration and idol. Not mentor, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that always gets confused. I don't want to flex and be like, Jimmy's my mentor, and make it <laughs> seem like it's more than it is. He's somebody that I'm incredibly inspired by, and I have a good relationship with him, a good friendship with him for a long time. He said to me, without knowing what I was going through, he wrote, you go with the horse that got you here, brother. That's all he wrote me, something like that. Like you stick with the horse that got you here. Like basically saying, whatever emotions you feel and get over it, it ain't about you, handle your business. And I needed that. I quickly was like, all right, I got this. And it's invigorating because I wanted to do this just like the Hamptons was invigorating, stressful, exciting, fun, all of those things. But ultimately I wanted to do it. So like, it's tough entails a lot of navigating and a lot of relationship and a lot of like no different than any business dealing that you guys got to do for your show or anything in life. You got to have conversations. And when you have Kevin Durant at the center of it, I can't relate to it being anyone else but one of the greatest players in the history of the world. So you've got a different type of leverage to begin with. Sometimes it's a gift, sometimes it's a curse to have that type of leverage. But ultimately, it's just like navigating relationships, being honest, because what I won't do during those things is bullshit or placate anybody or like try to play off of someone. I've never navigated situations by being a bullshitter or navigated situations by trying to fuck someone else over along the way. So that process takes longer sometimes because you got to be respectful and check every box. But ultimately now he's in Phoenix. He's happy. I still have tickets in the Barclays. I'm still <laughs> friends with everybody there and everyone's relationships are good. And that to me, that means it was a job well done. Well, Rich, been a pleasure. Appreciate you coming. Anything else that you want to let the people be aware of or any initiatives that you got coming up before we. Nah, you guys, you guys took care of me and brought up everything and i appreciate you guys and it's been fun to be on the show challenging i love the questions and 
yeah, I mean, I hope you guys are, are able to come and let me interview you guys. Oh, perfect, uh, man. Home and away. Home and away. Home away. <laughs> I love that because uh, sure. I'm going to dig into the business of the two of you and earn your leisure as well because I'm truly inspired and motivated by it as well. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, brother. All well, right, guys. Thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.